0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I think part of the problem is I just didn't get enough of my normal coffee, um, you know, intake this morning. Kind of. So this morning we are starting a a brand new series, a summer series through the Sermon on the Mount. Try to say that five times fast. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Which will be taught by, by myself and other uh, leaders in our fellowship, which I'm really excited for. And in part one today, we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, but let's, let's read verses 1 through 2, where we're going to consider some of the context and, and really try to set the tone for the studies to follow. So, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, uh, Here in Matthew chapter 5, because we're, you know, we, we're not starting in Matthew chapter 1. We're not, you know, seeing any birth records, any genealogy or any of the other things, the, the, the preceding ministry of Jesus We're finding Jesus now in chapter 5 at an already high point in his public earthly ministry, ministering in the Galilee region, which was in northern Israel. You remember from our studies in Nehemiah, and we considered some of the historical context, this would be the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes area. This is where Galilee is. And he's, you know, the, the last things that Matthew records before this is, Is that Jesus was going about all of Galilee. had been teaching in their synagogues. He had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom specifically. And healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. We're told his fame was spreading even into Syria. And that great multitudes were following him from different areas of the nation of Israel. And now seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. Now, if you've been to Israel, we would never call any mountain in Israel a mountain, likely. We would say, that's a hill. It's a decent hill. But none of us would look at that and go, wow, that's a mountain. Um, But for them, it it was. It was, you know, larger than a hill, maybe. And, And when he was seated, his disciples came to him, which would have included his, his 12 core disciples or apostles, but also a, a broader group of people who considered themselves his disciples. And after they came to him, he opened his mouth and he taught them. Now, in chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew tells us that from, the t- from that time, his, his time ministering in the Galilee region, that Jesus began to preach... And to say, repent, for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. Which is actually the same thing that Matthew records John the Baptist preaching earlier in this book. Repent. Have a change of mind that would lead to a change of direction. Repenting from sin. Turning toward God. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying that it was at hand because he, the king of the kingdom, was in their midst. But now as his disciples came to him on this mountain, maybe overlooking the Sea of Galilee, we don't know the exact spot, probably seated somewhere that he would have the right kind of acoustics for his voice to carry to the larger group that had come to him, he's he's now going to teach them and us still today, how to live as citizens of his kingdom. The, the Sermon on the Mount, as has been said by other Bible preachers and commentators, is sort of Jesus' declaration of his kingdom, his manifesto, what his kingdom is all about, how his kingdom and his people are to operate. But as we consider all of it, we see that none of it, is political. It's it's a heavenly kingdom. And we gain even from that, and I think it's something that needs to be gained and gleaned and be reminded of in our day, that the kingdom of heaven does not belong to a single nation or people or tribe or tongue. It belongs to all who have repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven. We, we look around, if Jesus started talking about this kingdom and he, just, he put it into that modern context and he tried to put it in a specific location, how many of us would be excluded from that unless we were of Jewish descent? We would go, well, it's not for me. I guess the kingdom's not really mine. It's for somebody else. It's for a different people. Or if you just kind of likened it to the kingdoms of the world, we would come away with a bad taste in our mouth of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because as you and I look at the kingdoms of this world, all we see is brokenness and sin and wickedness everywhere. We see broken, sinful people, broken, imperfect governmental systems that are far, far less, like in a way that we maybe couldn't even put a number on, than what the kingdom of heaven is like, than what our king, Jesus, is like as a king. And what an important thing for us in our day to be reminded, yeah, okay, we belong to earthly kingdoms. You have an earthly citizenship that you were born into. Maybe, maybe you even have two. But that our heavenly citizenship is above it all. That's the one that comes first. That's the one that's to be supreme. That's the one that our allegiance, our heart's affection belongs to ultimately. He doesn't talk about politics with his disciples. Instead, Jesus teaches us the kind of character we should have and the kind of people we should be as citizens of his kingdom, which is, again, a spiritual kingdom. And as we're going to see in the beginning portion of Jesus' sermon today, Life in his kingdom is not the guarantee of an easy life. But it is the only life where true spiritual and eternal blessing is found. If you've ever wondered how to be happy, these verses that Jesus is gonna, we're going to find Jesus teaching is going to explain to us what the happy, the truly happy life, the blessed life looks life. I can't say hashtag blessed anymore because no one says that anymore. It's not a thing. But I don't, yeah, I could, but. One last extremely important thing, though, I wanted to note before we dig into the first part of this sermon, and I want us to all be on the same page about as we study Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today and in the coming weeks, Is that this sermon does not deal with issues of salvation, but deals with us and how we're to live and what Jesus is desiring of of us as his disciples who have already received his salvation and are citizens of his kingdom. He doesn't say, Yours will be the kingdom, he says, Yours is. It's yours. And so with that, let's read verses 3 through 12. We'll dig into each verse individually afterwards. So verse 3 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you if you've ever wondered why this section of the sermon on the mount your bible may have like little descriptive you know titles to this to the section that you're reading it says the beatitudes if you've ever wondered why this section of the sermon on the mount is called the beatitudes it's because of the word Blessed or blessed, which comes from the Latin word beatus, that begins each of these following statements in verses 3 through 11. And again, as I said before, if you've ever wondered how to be happy, well, this word blessed really means, oh, how happy. And we look at all these things and we go, wow, oh, how happy, Jesus, really? Don't we need Jesus to impart to us a right thinking of what it looks like to be someone in his kingdom? I I need him to tell me what's really blessed, what the happy life looks like. Because otherwise, I'll come up with what I think, and that's what I'm going to go with. That's what you'll go with. As Jesus begins to present his kingdom to his disciples, the first thing he focuses on is what the people in his kingdom should be like. These beatitudes, very simply put, are to be the attitudes or characteristics of every believer. And as Jesus lists these beatitudes, he uses this word blessed to start each of them off, linking them together by this chain of blessing that marks each of these attitudes that are to mark us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So Let's look at the first one in verse 3. Jesus again says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that it doesn't say, blessed are the poor, and he just ends there. If you're poor, you're blessed. Because then everyone else who's not physically poor would go, Well, I'm out, obviously. Kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to me. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What what Jesus is speaking about really has nothing to do with physical or material things. It has to do with the spiritual. This first beatitude sets the stage for all the rest that follow because it deals with our spiritual condition after having come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven belongs... To those who know that they can't make it into the kingdom in their own power or of their own resources or anything like that. I mean, what can we bring to the table to offer to God that He hasn't already given to us first by His grace? What do we have? that we could feel so rich about. Well, I got it. I I mean, the kingdom belongs to me because I've contributed in some way. I've brought something to the table. Jesus should sort of, in that sense, give me the kingdom. And yet Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. It's the ones who are bankrupt spiritually apart from him that the kingdom belongs to. is those who realize, Jesus, it's got to be you. It's got to be your righteousness. It's got to be your grace. It's got to be your salvation. It's got to be your life within me. Or I don't have the kingdom at all. It's all you. And and we need to know that because in our pride, we think it's kind of all about us. You know what, people feel like uncomfortable and awkward, and you know what, oftentimes, is kind of at the heart of that? And I'm not trying to diss these people, but oftentimes, what's there is we're, we're thinking that people are really thinking about us. They're really looking at us. They're thinking, you know, we're, we're sort of. Wondering all these things, and oftentimes people aren't really thinking about you at all. You're thinking about you. And you're so thinking about you, you're so caught up in your headspace, that all of a sudden it's just all about you. Right? But in this life, in, 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 the, in the kingdom of heaven, it's actually all about Jesus. And man, that makes the kingdom of heaven infinitely better. Infinitely better. See, those that recognize their spiritual poverty, who see that they're completely in need of Jesus and come to Jesus on that basis by faith, are the ones who have been given his kingdom. And really, if we've been given the kingdom, we've been given everything. We are the richest people on the face of this planet. If we have the kingdom, because not even just the kingdom, because if the kingdom didn't have the king, the kingdom wouldn't mean anything. It's the king that makes the kingdom so great. And so if we have King Jesus, you guys, we've got it. You've got it, and you know what? If there is a physical poverty, if there's a physical lack, we can approach this life knowing that we are blessed in ways that go beyond our physical circumstances because Jesus has made us blessed. He's declared us blessed. You know, sometimes we look at our physical circumstances and we can think because of false theology that's present in our world that if I'm dealing with hardship, if I'm dealing with any sort of poverty, if I'm having a rough time, then then I'm not really blessed. Something's off. And to know Jesus is saying here in this section, no, 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 I'm telling you what's really the reality. And I'm the one that's telling you You're blessed. You're blessed. And I'll I'll go with the word of Jesus over anybody else's word every day of the week. Amen? Moving on, verse 4. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, again, this is one of those things where we look at the kingdom of Jesus, we look at the kingdoms of this world, and we go, Jesus' kingdom isn't like Anything else. Jesus' values, his ethics, his, the, the way that he sees things and, and, and says things are, they're so different than anyone else because no one else would look at mourning and go, wow, blessed. Whoa. And, and, and in the Greek, this is speaking of like a profound mourning. Profound. Now, when you're in profound mourning, that's not like usually when we're feeling the most blessed. We're feeling like, wow, Lord, I, just pull me out, Lord. Just pull me out of it. I'm in the depths of it right now. Now, this isn't necessarily a mourning that comes out of personal tragedy or, or trials of life. Although, we do have the ultimate comforter in Jesus. He is the God God. Of all comfort, Scripture tells us. But this is really speaking into more. Us mourning over what's going on internally in us. Our, our sin, our shortcomings, our struggles and failures with our flesh. Our sin nature. This reminds us that we cannot take our sin lightly. We cannot become indifferent to it or make excuses for our sin that we cannot allow our hearts to grow hardened to the convicting work of the holy spirit which will lead us into godly mourning that will then lead us to confession and repentance sin breaks it damages our fellowship with god and we don't ever want to make light of things or, be, or become indifferent to things or make excuses for things or become hardened to anything that could make such a huge impact on our relationship with our God. Now, it's not that we just continually beat ourselves up over our sins, but realizing the hurt that it causes God should bring us to mourn and Repent. And what comfort and joy he brings as we humble ourselves before him. Comfort knowing that our sin is dealt with and forgiven and and things are made right between us and him. Jesus doesn't leave us in a place of mourning when we're broken over our sin and struggles. No, when we humble ourselves before us, as James talks about in James 4, he lifts us up. He comforts us because, man, if we just think about our sin, you imagine if when you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, he just revealed every single aspect of sin in your life in that moment, and for the rest of your life, it would, it would destroy you, it would destroy me. We would be in a mourning where there's never a comfort. We would never, never allow ourselves to be comforted because we would feel like, I need to be afflicted. I deserve what I'm getting. I don't deserve the forgiveness of Jesus. And, and we would just stay in this state of mourning and miss the comfort that, that Jesus wants to bring us out into. And so as we go through our lives, again, as we don't harden ourselves to the conviction of the Spirit of God, there's there's a sort of a continual mourning, if you will, that takes place as the Lord reveals different things in our lives that don't belong, things that He wants to change, ways that He wants to grow us. And in His grace, He doesn't unload it all on us at once but he's faithful because he loves us, because he cares about our holiness more than than our temporal happiness to deal with the things that are damaging our fellowship with him. And those things we know don't just damage our fellowship, they damage our witness, they damage our relationships. Sin breaks all kinds of things. You know this to be true because you're a sinner just like me. Sin breaks things. And we need to have the right kind of godly sorrow that will lead us into repentance. And and in that place, man, there's the comfort of the Lord for you and for me. These are people in this kingdom. People in this kingdom aren't okay with staying in sin. They mourn over it. They repent of it. And then they move forward by faith, trusting in Jesus. Not staying in in a a state of like continual failure, but but the Lord leading us into greater victory, into that abundant, spirit-filled life that he purchased for us with his blood. So thankful. So thankful for that. Verse 5, though, Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See, poverty of spirit and, and, and mourning deal with our inward condition, but this one deals sort of more with our outward condition, our relationship and relation to others. Meekness could also be translated gentleness or humility. Meekness is not passive. It actually speaks of strength under control. You know, when you see somebody riding a very large, strong, muscular horse, and they've got the reins, and that horse is walking at a controlled, slow speed, not bucking off the person riding it, you don't look at the horse and go, That's the weakest horse I've ever seen. Should have got something else, friend. Or like, there's meekness there. There's power under control. That power has been submitted to the will of another. Jesus doesn't look to us and go, you guys are so, you're weak and you should see yourselves as inferior to everybody else. Just let everybody walk over you. No, what he's speaking about is not weakness. It's humility. It's it's our strength. It's the things even that God's put in our lives, submitted under the will of God in such a way where we don't have to go against them. We don't have to assert our will over somebody else's. We don't have to kind of approach life, approach business, approach friendships and relationships the way that we see people in the world doing. Where it's like, no, it's just about me. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get to the top. And if I have to step on people, that's how it goes. Now we don't take that approach. This world does not value biblical meekness. It can be easy to feel like the the meek person will never get ahead if they stay in that posture of meekness, will miss out, will be despised by others. But according to the promise and power and authority of Jesus, his disciples, citizens of his kingdom, these ones who are to be marked by this characteristic of meekness are the ones who will actually Inherit the earth. You know, you see other people in their, in their pride and their rebellion, they, they do whatever they want and then they, they get the thing, right? Wow. They got it. You know what? That's all they're going to get. You and I get something that's far greater and that will last far longer. The ones who inherit the earth, these are those who will rule and reign with Christ Jesus upon the earth. That's you and me. What a blessing. You and I are not ever f- truly going to miss out on the things that God has for us because he's already guaranteed them to us. And then in verse 6, he said, blessed Are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled? Again, what what Jesus is speaking about has nothing to do with the physical, but with the spiritual. I I think a good question for us to ask ourselves is, is what are we really hungering and thirsting after? What drives us? What, what are we striving to achieve and attain? If we're honest with ourselves, for, for maybe some of us, we might admit that we are hungry and thirsty and seeking to fill ourselves with other things than righteousness. Lesser things. The wrong things maybe even good things, but not the best things, than having a profound hunger and thirst to have our lives be and stay right before the Lord. Hungering and thirsting after the things that revolve around and are found in Jesus. Guys, how is our spiritual appetite is righteousness the thing that we're just, man, like, i got to have it in my life? Or, or are we kind of, our appetite spiritually has been ruined because we've been thirsting after, we've been hungering for, we've been partaking of things that, that's really sort of the spiritual cotton candy diet. It's great in the moment. Man, it tastes really, it, it seems to give me sort of a boost in the moment. But man, I, it makes me feel sick. It's leaving me malnourished. Like Jesus is saying, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness... That the right things, that righteousness in the eyes of our God, the righteousness that's described for us in Scripture, when that righteousness is something that we are passionate about seeing God do in us internally, that's where real fulfillment is found. And this world isn't looking at that and going, yeah, fulfillment. The world around us isn't looking at righteousness and going, man, I'm really passionate about it. The world seems to be caught up with just wanting to do everything in unrighteousness. What's the, what's the opposite of the right thing? Let me go in that way, in that, that direction. Living in a time where our world calls evil good and good evil. But the people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who are passionate about different things than this world, who are driven by different things than the godless people in this world. It's righteousness that we want. It's righteousness that we want to see God bring in our world. But it's got to start in our lives. See, the the disciples might have thought in the moment like, wow, hungering and thirst for righteousness. I need to look at the Pharisees. And if I I just try to live like them, then I'm going to get this part. I'm going to be righteous, then I'll be filled. If I can be like them, I'll get this sort of deep spiritual satisfaction, this deep spiritual longing inside me. It's finally fulfilled. But Jesus in this sermon is actually going to to reveal that unless our righteousness is greater than the scribes and Pharisees, then we're never going to achieve those things. And what he was speaking about was not a self-righteousness. It was a righteousness that's found in the eyes of Jesus. Guys, each of us have that longing we have a longing in us and so each day we're driven by the desire to fulfill that longing and it's fulfilled in a multitude of ways through relationships through sexual exploration through trying to gain success through through trying to get more money through through trying to get the right kind of Job or position or role, like if I can, I, I just I, we're, we're we're we can be driven in all different ways, and still find ourselves hungry and thirsty. But man, when we come to Jesus, as my brother Jared reminded us earlier in his prayer this morning of Jesus on that great day pouring out, you know, where the water would have been poured out. And he says, anyone who is thirsty, you come to me and drink. Out of your heart will flow rivers, torrents of living water. Speaking of the Holy Spirit that was to come. Guys, that, that deep longing of soul is only fulfilled in our king. Anything else, any, a hunger for anything else will leave us starving for more. But when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, this is where real fulfillment and satisfaction are found. And then in verse seven, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This word merciful carries the sense of a person who shows leniency, compassion, or forgiveness, especially towards someone who has offended them. You know, there's a lot, of, lot that happens in the world around us and that happens to us that can easily offend us, right? Offenses abound, but, but being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven should mark us in a way where we respond to things we respond to people. We respond to situations in a merciful way. Why? Because our God is merciful. It says that in Scripture. Be merciful because your Father in heaven is merciful. We're not being asked to be something that God's like, you be it. I don't really want anything to do with that. I'm more about, let's just let's stay in the wrath and judgment category. Those things are part of God's nature. and the, there's, there's things about that that are good because if there wasn't there, we wouldn't have justice or righteousness. But our God is a God all throughout Scripture, not just the New Testament, who calls himself a God who's merciful, abundant in mercy, Now, mercy, you can describe it this way, not getting what we deserve. Being merciful, then, is not giving to others or it's withholding from others what they deserve. And again, we do this because this is how God is with us. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve, but He withholds from us what we deserve because of our sin and rebellion and he's compassionate towards us, even though we are the offenders who often rebel against him in our pride. People who belong to the kingdom of heaven are to have the compassion of God for other, others that through being merciful, we would rightly reflect our merciful God to others. And Jesus says there's a blessing in being merciful. Because we shall obtain, we shall receive mercy. And oftentimes we get to experience his mercy. We get to experience his compassion as we seek to demonstrate and show his mercy to others. We shall receive mercy, but praise God, we also already have received his mercy and continue to be on the receiving end of his mercy, which is made new to us every single day morning. We're blessed. This just reminds us, we're blessed. We're blessed. Verse 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this purity of heart definitely includes moral purity, but there's more to it than that, as this purity of heart also speaks of being unmixed like like metal that's been purified in the refining process. also speaks of having an undivided heart before our God, having a singleness of devotion or commitment to Him. The pure of heart shall see God. They'll experience greater intimacy with Him. Now, in a future sense, one day we will see God and be with Him, for eternity. It's going to be an amazing day. But in a present sense, you and I can see God on this side of heaven in so many different ways. We can see His hand at work. We can see His goodness, His faithfulness, His power, His provision. We can see and experience His presence personally. And the person who is pure of heart, unmixed, undivided, in their heart more easily sees God in their day-to-day lives because there aren't things in the heart that don't belong. Sin, impurity that would muddy their ability to see God, see the hand of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God, the faithfulness of God toward them and toward others in little and big ways each day. And know this... He wants us to see him more. He wants us to see him more. And, and man, just that alone is a blessing as well. Verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are not those who never experience trouble. They're those who seek to bring the peace of God with them into situations and relationships and problems. This world abounds with troublemakers, but what it's lacking is peacemakers. Troublemakers can be found in every kingdom, but they're not to be found in Jesus' kingdom. Isn't that interesting? I was a troublemaker this morning in the car right here being sarcastic to my wife as we were driving she's like you are not being a peacemaker she obviously read ahead and i was like you are so right right now <laughs> the the greatest fulfillment of this is in bringing the gospel of peace to those who do not have the peace of god because they've never made peace with god through receiving the salvation of jesus christ and being reconciled to him Jesus was and still is the ultimate peacemaker, maker, the ultimate mediator. He did what was necessary in sacrificing himself so we could be reconciled to the Father. We could be brought into that place of being made at peace with God through salvation in him. And there's a blessing for the peacemakers in the kingdom who live here in this troubled and peaceless and strife-filled world, that these shall be called sons. This is not a, a jab at the daughters. This word son speaks of both. It speaks of children of God. Now, this doesn't mean that someone doesn't become a son or daughter of God until they're a peacemaker. But means that in our peacemaking, others are able to see and say about us that we belong to the family of God as we represent our God through our peacemaking actions. And then finally, in verses 10 through 12, we see the final beatitudes and explanation Jesus gives. Verse 10, he goes on to say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, I lost my place for a second. Blessed are you, verse 11, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Make sure it's false, right? If they're speaking evil about you because it's true, not persecution, not persecution. They're speaking evil falsely for my sake. Rejoice, he says, and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution, harassment, attack, this can be physical, verbal, emotional, is not a sign that God gave you the boot out of his kingdom. Not a sign that God's hand of blessing is not upon your life. No, these things are a sign that you're, a part of the kingdom of heaven. See, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, our allegiance to our King Jesus, our submission to the righteous ways of our King Jesus will cause others to oppose us, to persecute us, to revile us, which means to to harshly criticize or insult, to say all kinds of evil. That word evil, speaking of slander, slander, Uh, Abusive words meant to damage a person's reputation falsely against us. So they're lies. Because we're seeking to live rightly, to to live righteously before our king and because we belong to our king. When when these characteristics Jesus has been speaking into since verse 3 mark our lives know this, it's going to rub some people the wrong way and persecution will come to us for Jesus' sake. But there's a blessing for us in the persecution. Why? Because Jesus is the one giving. He's promising the blessing. Not only that, there's joy to be found in the persecution, where we can, as a result of the supernatural work of our God, actually rejoice and be exceedingly glad as we remember that it's for Jesus' sake that others who've lived for the Lord in the past, the prophets of old, experience the same things as us, which reminds us that we're not an exception. We're not alone. And that our persecution here on earth is temporary, but the rewards Jesus has waiting for us in heaven are great. And they are eternal. We find in these verses today that we truly are blessed. That those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have received his salvation and become a part of his kingdom, have received and shall receive still incredible things from the lord and each of these are promises from jesus to us what ours is the kingdom of heaven we shall be comforted we shall inherit the earth we shall be filled we shall obtain mercy we shall see god we shall be called sons of god sons and daughters of god And and sort of a bookend, he goes on to say again a double promise. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. If you weren't positive about it in the beginning, be assured of it now. It belongs to you and me. And great is our reward in heaven. And I'm so thankful that Jesus' expectations of us are not this Crazy external list. Man, if you can reach the Forbes list of richest people in my kingdom. When you can finally own your own business in my kingdom. If you can own your own home in my kingdom. If you get the relationship you've always been in my kingdom. But that he points to internal things that are, they're doable for every person. There's not one person that Jesus is excluding potentially from this list, but it starts with repentance. That's the only way into the kingdom of heaven. There is no other than, than turning from the things that are gonna drag us to hell so that we can turn fully to the Lord in faith. And when we do that, ours is the kingdom. Ours is the kingdom. Amen? We'll dig into this more in part two next week. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, the the things we've been considering today, they should encourage and challenge us. Like, okay, Lord, you know, yes, these are things to mark my life, but, Lord, I believe these are things that you want to grow me in as well. You want, to, you want me to bring, bring me to an even deeper place of dependency upon you. You want to do something in what I'm hungering and thirsting after. You want me to have a right perspective of my sin. You want me to walk in humility, Lord. You want, to, you want me to be merciful and pure of heart and a peacemaker. To rejoice when persecution comes. Lord, I, I believe you can at the same time work these things in my life to an even greater degree and to know that our king is able to do it he desires to do it why because the more that these things are us the more these things are clear in our lives the more others will see how amazing our king is and be drawn to him Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful for your grace and your goodness this morning. Lord, we're thankful that you would invite us into your kingdom. Lord, that you love us, that you're merciful toward us, that God, you want us to see you. Lord, what an amazing thing that we can be called sons and daughters of God. God, we know all those things are only possible for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, in those areas, God, where we are struggling, Lord, God, bring growth, bring change, Lord, bring transformation, bring greater maturity, Christ-likeness, godliness, God, would these things, all of these things, mark our lives in the way that you desire them to? And Lord, would we press into you? Lord, we come with empty hands, dependent upon you, humble before you, seeking after you. Lord, help us to see you more clearly, God. Lord, strengthen your people. Lord, would we reflect you well? God, would we be citizens of the kingdom of heaven who rightly represent that real citizenship, our true spiritual citizenship to others, that rightly represent our king to others? And God, would you bless, Lord, these coming weeks studying the Sermon on the Mount? God, would you... Lord, use, Lord, this summer series in your word in powerful ways in our lives and in this church and for your kingdom and glory throughout the Diablo Valley and beyond. And Lord, for any this morning who may have joined us who don't have a personal saving relationship with you, Lord Jesus, this morning, would you even now be opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, softening hard hearts, changing minds. That those who don't know you yet, Lord, would see how good you are, would see, Lord, your mercy that you're wanting to extend towards them, your, your salvation that you're wanting to give them as a free gift of your grace. Lord, would they open their hearts to you even now if that's anybody this morning and, and you're going, that's me. That's me. I want the kingdom of heaven. I want it to be mine. I want the king to forgive me. I want to I see God. I want to know him. Would you raise your hand this morning if that's you and you're going, look, I, I want Jesus' forgiveness. I want his righteousness. I want his life in me. Lord, you know, God, the spiritual state of each one. Even those who may be online joining us or those listening at a different time, that God, in their own hearts, if that's them, Lord, they would just open up to you. Lord, they would cry out to you. They would, Lord, confess their sin, Lord, that they're a sinner. They need salvation. That, Lord, they would repent. they turn away. From their sin, they'd grab a hold of you by faith, Lord Jesus. Humbling themselves before you, surrendering their lives fully to you. Believing in their heart. Jesus, that you rose from the grave, confessing with their mouth that you died on the cross. That, Lord, you would save them, forgive them, you'd redeem them, you'd reconcile them to the Father. As our ultimate peacemaker. Lord, that today they would know, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are sons or daughters of God, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done for them. Lord, bless your people. Lord, thank you that you've blessed us. You have called us blessed. But Lord, as we sing these songs, Lord, will we bless you in return. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.